Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Give or take about 50 yards that I met my wife for the very first time. And, uh, yeah, ah. And so this place has always had a special place in my heart, and um, glad to be here. I think the first time that I came uh, to speak with you, and so glad that I got the opportunity. We're going to be looking at Subversive Kingdom, a government official locates Jesus, faith and worship of an omnipresent God. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can put a bookmark in John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 46 through 54 with also a little contextual information from chapter 4, verse 19 through 24. But I want you to think for a minute. Is there a place you go because you feel closer to God there? And some of you, I think I heard a yes, like a resounding yes, like there is a place that I go, and it helps me to focus on God, and and I feel closer to God when I'm there. And for me, there was this place outside, I was a minister in Buell, Idaho, and there was a place not too far away called Balanced Rock. Let's show a picture, yeah, Balanced Rock, and uh, it wasn't a real difficult uh, hike, and any time something was bothering me and I just wanted to get away and be alone, I could go to this place because it was so close to where I was. And so I would go up there, and I don't really want to get into a particular day. There was a particular day where I had an experience. Uh, I had a tremendous heartache in my life. And I needed to get away and just spend some time alone. And so I traveled to this place of Balanced Rock. And when I got up there, I made this climb up there. And not only was it a beautiful view, but there was this eagle. And I'm thinking, God, are are you doing this for me? And so I'm up there, and I'm having this experience with this eagle, and I realize that rather than just be in the moment, I wanted to keep this moment forever, and I wanted to have a picture of it, but my camera was in the car. So I thought, I guess I hope this eagle can stay in position, and I can go because I would really love to be able to share this experience and be able to get this picture. And just as I was ready to go down to the car and come back, and I'm telling that eagle, stay. I see a line of clouds. And so there's not much in between Buell and the Waihee Mountains. And storms can kind of just come across there really, really quick. And I see a line of clouds. And I 
am going, man, this is just going to ruin it. There's just no way this eagle, the wind starts picking up, and this eagle is going to break. He's going to break for cover. He's not going to be there. But I go down, and I get the camera, and I get back, and I look up, and as the wind is howling, as uh, the storm is starting to uh, move its way in, the eagle has taken the wind, and rather than break for cover, it has used that wind to lift itself higher. And I'm like, this is what's spoken on in the Bible. Take what comes against you and use it to lift you higher. And that's what I needed at that moment. And I wrote a song, first original song that I've ever written. It's my only song that I've ever written. And I just want to, I want to sing a couple of lines for you. And I want to do it a cappella, and I realize that I might not be able to hit the pitch that I want to but just bear with me. Concentrate on the words, but that's my intellectual property, so don't write these words down because I don't want you to steal my song. But I just want to, I, you put, you know, in the Bible, we have so much poetry that anytime there was a time of intense emotion, they went into some kind of poetry. And so I'm going to sing that for you. Give me just a second. So I just try to take the words of this eagle, and I just try to put them into a song. Ah! Okay. Don't steal that song, okay? So hopefully someday you might hear it on the radio. I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. We're going to look at this second, <laughs> this second miraculous sign in a subversive, oh good, I can't speak, kingdom this morning. And it's in the book of John. And we're, and, uh, we're going to learn, we're going to see that our place of worship is not nearly as important as our faith and our behavior in our worship because we have an omnipresent Lord and Savior. And as we dive into the first text from this government official, at this text, we will learn five behaviors that will be a sign and a cause of uproar to those that are around us and could edify the kingdom of Christ. Those behaviors as I see them are this. Don't wait. Believe first. Keep moving. Rule out coincidence. And be authentic. So as we get to those behaviors in the text, let's first go and look at our context. Look at the conversation that takes place with the woman from Samaria, the woman at the well. Here it is, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation it comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So as Jesus begins to expose a tender place in this woman's life, shall we say she had thirsts in her life that she was quenching in other ways, as we many times have these thirsts in our lives that we quench with something other than God. And he exposes some relationship problems or things that she, things that she is running to. And so she quickly has a desire to kind of change the subject and bring up a popular theological debate or issue. And I think sometimes when things get heated in our lives, that maybe we're tempted to do the same thing, to not actually want to look at those things. But let's, let's debate something theologically. So her question was more like a smokescreen, intended to keep Jesus away from revealing her deepest needs and struggles. But Jesus directed the conversation to a much more important point. The location of worship is not the key but rather the heart of the worshiper. Let's look at verse 23 again. Yet a time is coming and has now come. Kind of sounds like the view of Revelation. It's coming and it's come. And, and it will come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The word, the Greek word translated spirit is a form of pneuma, a form of that word, a verb, which means blow or breathe. We get our words pneumonia from the, the breathing problems that it causes or uh, pneumatic tools from this word. A pneumatic tool is a, a tool that is driven by air. It has a force that cannot be seen, but it can be, filled, can be filled and is there and is very, very real, but it cannot be contained in something visible, in something physical, and it can see the effects of that air. And so that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying we must worship not the physical or the physical place or think that we have to worship in a church building or we have to go to a place to worship. Now there was a time for that. There was a time as we were learning and finding out about Jesus to come and finding out what sacrifice, how that is going to be fulfilled. So there was a time for that. There was a place. And it was difficult with our curriculum company this week when they wanted to talk about the tabernacle, but they wanted it to support their theme that we need to work together. 
And it was like, now I'm telling the kids, you know, about the tabernacle, but I'm going off, rec- off point. And I'm talking about how the people in the tabernacle used all their gifts to, to, uh, to make something and, and do something to honor God. And that's fine. I mean, there's an okay point there. But the tabernacle was a place that they could go to be with God, to worship God. They couldn't go to certain places. They had to have an intercessor. They had to have blood. And so we sometimes accidentally still worship that way. We, we step out of church and it's like, okay, God, we'll see you. I'll see you on Wednesday night, okay? It's Sunday morning. I'll come back and I'll visit you on Wednesday night. And we accidentally kind of, maybe, or at least I have, fell into that pattern of not realizing that God is spirit. That God does not leave us. And so... Look at this scripture here, Matthew 27, 51, and I put it uh, in the King James because I just, I just thought it, was, it just sounded so cool. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from Samuel Clemens. No, from top to bottom. It was ripped in two, that barrier that that containment of God, God, the, the price had been paid. God can go into our presence because of the blood of Christ. And so if you go into Hebrews and you read 10, 19, it will say, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Talking to a people that are like, no way, we cannot enter the most holy place. We can't go there. You have to be a priest to go there. You have to do everything right to go there. You have to earn your way to go there. You have to take blood to go there. You can't earn your way, but you take the blood to go there. And so we got to dispel that. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, it's not it's not." A place. We, we are going to go into the most holy place. And then he also goes around and says, some people say, well, then I don't need to go to church. I don't need the church. No. Because the same author in the same section of scripture says, do not forsake the gathering of together as some are in the habit of doing. So we do need to gather together. It doesn't matter what the place is. And that's not where God lives. And so when we're teaching them about the tabernacle, it's like, yeah, they had to make a tent so that God could live there. But that was just to show them. And that barrier is no longer because of Jesus. Jesus in my apartment is a, something that changed my life when I saw it. It's a skit, and I cannot find it anywhere. I look for it, I search. We got the internet, man. Everything that anybody's ever done, 
is on the internet, and you can find it. If you just get the right search, you know, you can, you can find a script. You can either buy it or sometimes, unfortunately, you can have people's property for free. But I saw this skit, and uh, it started off with a guy in his living room, and he has a knock at the door, and it's Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, I, I haven't seen you since Sunday. I didn't expect to see you here in my apartment, but come on in. I'm, I'm sorry about the mess, and he, he's straightening it up. He's hiding things that he doesn't want Jesus to see. He flips on the TV. He's like, what, what are we going to do, Jesus? I, I don't know. You know, here's how we entertain ourselves. He flips on the TV, and there's things that he doesn't want to witness with Jesus next to him. He'll witness it. He witnessed it all the time without the realization that Jesus was next to him. And he's just really uncomfortable, and he's saying dumb things, and he's trying to figure out a way that he and Jesus can be um, entertained. And then there is a call on the cell phone. And some buddies are going to pick him up. They're going to take him someplace. And so he's trying to explain to Jesus that he has to go and that Jesus needs to leave. See you on Sunday, Jesus. But you got you to gotta get out of here because you you're not going to like when you find out what kind of influences are in my life? So I'd just rather you not see that. And the guys come. They, there's some honking outside. And they um, are yelling, get out here, come on. And he starts to walk to the door. And this is all a, a sketch drama. It was, just so, it was just so good. But he starts walking towards the door. And Jesus is following him. And he's like, look, Jesus, you cannot come with me. You can stay here. I'll I'll let you stay here. I'll visit with you back here. But you can't come with me. You're not going to like, Jesus, you're going to be uncomfortable where we're going. You're not going to like the things that we're going to do. You're not going to like the things we're going to talk about. Those things are going to make you uncomfortable, Jesus. I, I wish you would just stay here. And then finally, Jesus keeps following, following, following him to the door. And he says, Jesus! And he throws him against the wall. I told you to stay here! And he nails Jesus to the proverbial wall to get him, to let him go do his thing. Sounds like I got too passionate and got the microphone a little bit. <laughs> but that's the setting of this scripture. And so now let's dive into this scripture. And it really, we don't, we're going to handle it pretty quickly if you're worried about time. What, what time do we need to be done? Ten twenty. Okay. All right. All right. Ten twenty. Well, it's only nine 15. So we have an hour and five minutes. That's good. All right. Once more, he visited Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal officer 
whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time of when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized this was the exact time in which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. The second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So the first thing I see there is don't wait to call upon the Lord. Don't wait. So that I get from verse 47. This man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea. He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now we all know those people who... They pray for everything, and so it's time for prayer requests, and they're going to bring up everything. And for a corporate worship, that doesn't really work great. But for our lives, we don't need to wait until it gets so bad. Jesus is omnipresent with us. And we can call upon him right away. I remember hearing a story of a church that they were dealing with this uh, issue that took hours and, 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 and time. And they get down to a point and said, I guess all we can do, all that's left to do is pray. It's like, that's where you should have started. Before you tried everything else, don't wait till it's all you can do. But start there. Have that relationship. Don't just go to God when things are bad. Go to God constantly through the good, through the bad. Have that relationship with your Lord and Savior. Number two, believe first. Verse 48 and 49. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. This miracle was more than a favor to an official. It was a sign to all people. John's gospel was written to all mankind to urge faith in Christ. Let's look at James 1, 6, and 7. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
blown and tossed by the wind, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James says... You know what? we got to get to a point in our faith where everything's not just shaking us up. Everything that we know we believe and we are even if type people. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down to your gods. Because you know what? I might have times where I'm not understanding, but I got to get beyond my doubt. I can get to the point of where instead of doubting, I might not understand how God's going to get me through this, but I can't doubt it because you know what? I know. I know that he can get me through it, but I have this attitude, even if, even if. I know that there's other things that are available to me through my relationship with Christ to get me through these things. Number three, keep moving. Verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The official not only believed Jesus could heal, he also obeyed Jesus demonstrating his faith. It's not enough for us to say, we believe that Jesus can take care of our problems. We need to act as if he can. We need to keep moving. God, if you take care of this for me, I will do this. No, you will do this. Even if you're going to keep moving, you're going to know he can, you're going to trust his plan, You're going to lean on the peace that surpasses all understanding when you don't understand his plan or what happens. And you're going to keep moving. When we pray about a need or a problem, we have to live as we believe that Jesus can do what he says. Point four, rule out coincidence. So he says this, while he was still on the way, His servants met him with the news about his boy living. When he inquired at the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized this was the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. So he and his whole family believed. Rule out those coincidences. I have a story of a time that I could do that, but I don't have time for it today. But go and look, and when God is providing for you, don't say it's a coincidence. Rule it out. Find ways that you can prove that he proved it. He's like, one o'clock? I have a short story. One time, somebody told me they were praying for me, and I said, by chance, was that exactly at 1.30? Because I had this peace come over me at 1.30 last night. They were not able to confirm that. But we, I wanted to rule out coincidence. I wanted to know that my father is with me. And 
He is ministering to me throughout whatever hardship that I have. And the last thing is be authentic. So he told his whole house, or so he and his whole household believed. I'm a first responder. I have, uh, I have seen a dad holding his deceased 11-year-old daughter. I have seen things. I have been around people. And in some situations, I wasn't only just a first responder, but I was also a called person to ministry. And I was scared to death in each and every circumstances. God sends someone else. Someone can do this better than me. I cannot do this. And I was at a death of a family and on Saturday. And a person who is a co-worker on the department said to me, you're the strongest man I know. And she was wrong. She was wrong. And so I didn't say anything back. But she had seen me in these situations not knowing what to do. First rule, when you go into a class to be a first responder, they draw a duck on the board. And they're like, what does this duck have to do with first, being a first responder? And they say, imagine a duck out on a stream or out on a lake. It's very calm on the surface. But underneath the water, the duck is just kicking like crazy. And so that is our rule is we need to be calm on the surface. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what actually is going on in us. But we've got to hide this. We've got to keep this below the surface. People are depending on us and we need to hide any uncomfort we have. And I'm hoping, because it was a very gracious statement, I'm hoping that she's seen in me the peace that surpasses all understanding from Philippians 1.7. And as we started off this service, reading about peace guarding our hearts. But it was an unfair thing because even though there were people that were close to me, it wasn't my 11-year-old daughter. It wasn't my dad. So that was a very fair unstatement, flattering. But put me in that shoes. See if the peace that surpasses all understanding really does guard my heart in that situation. That's the real test. And so, 
be authentic. Let people know. Let them, let them know that you're real. But at the same time, don't go to a place. Know that Jesus is with you in each and every situation and can empower you, calm you, give you the words when you, when, and what we say in those situations is no words, there's no words. But he will give you his word and you can speak his word. So I thought it was a great summary of everything we've talked about today was the simple song of Waymaker. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. You are Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are here turning lives around. I worship you. You are here. You're healing every heart. I worship you. And even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop because Jesus, you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. So tonight, I don't know if you'll get these questions because I um, was late in preparing um, my message today. And you might get these tonight in your devotions, but here are the things I want you to think about. Is there a place you feel closer to God? How can you always remember God is omnipresent? How can that help you grow in your faith? What do you think I meant about an even-if faith? How can we live as if we believe Jesus can heal and comfort? Have you ever ruled out coincidence, something you knew was God's working? And then maybe you could close your time with singing Waymaker together. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the power of your word. The reminder that you are with us. That you are here. That you're working. I thank you that this was a sign to the unbelievers of who you were and what you could do. And God, I pray that we can live our lives as a sign, even with, even if things don't go out, go the way that we think they should go. But we know we can get through anything because you're with us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.